It's baffled scholars for two millennia. It is a puzzle made of multi-dimensional elements, an enigma with roots that reach back to the dawning of time, perhaps before. Daniel explained part of it. Ezekiel and Isaiah had glimpses into it. John saw it all for the time of the end. That time is now. Join Derek and Sharon Gilbert on a journey that spans the course of history, from Eden to Mount Hermon, from Hermon to Babel, from Babel to Rome, from Rome to the cross, and from there to us. Biblical prophecy is coming true before your eyes, and to understand it, you must discern the times both then and now. It's time to unravel the threads of this all-encompassing prophetic paradox. It's time to unravel Revelation. Welcome to Unraveling Revelation. I'm Derek Gilbert. I am Sharon Gilbert, and we are so delighted that you have chosen to join us once again because we are still talking about Inanna and Demuzi and how it relates to Revelation 17. Yes, the prostitute, the great prostitute, the whore of Babylon, the scarlet woman who rides the beast, whatever you... She's got a very ancient history. We believe she is an entity who has existed for literally millennia, one of the group of, um, I guess we call them sons of God, Beneha Elohim, delegated mm -hmm. the responsibility of administering this beautiful planet after the Tower of Babel incident. But before we dive in, please take a moment, if you're not watching us on our app or our Roku channel. Why aren't you? Yes. Please download that to your, either your set-top box, uh, Roku, Apple TV, or your smartphone or tablet, iOS, Android, Amazon, Kindle Fire. We've got uh, a link at our website, unravelingrevelation.tv or gilberthouse.org slash app. And um, that bypasses the gatekeepers of big tech. We won't be canceled from our own app. We will not because it's a Christian company. Yes. So, And not only does it get you all of our content, uh, there's a, a little blog section there where uh, every Wednesday we publish uh, a new article and um, occasionally some other notices and things there. But there's also a messaging feature with uh, different... I, I guess we call them chat rooms mm -hmm. where you can go and, and share thoughts about the programs, but also prayer requests, which yes. is really the most active section on that app. It, the, well, everything on there is very active. If you turn on the notifications, I keep the sound off on mine so it doesn't ding or stuff, but I see them come in and there are a lot of them. You guys are really active. You are praying for one another. You're encouraging one right. another, answering questions. This is what the body of believers is supposed to do. And we're really encouraged by that. It's really a blessing to see how active that's become. And some of the prayer requests, I mean, are really, really moving. We all are going through various things mm -hmm. here and there, whether it's health, family, finances, mm -hmm. whatever. AC going out. Yeah. 105 degree temperature, air conditioning going out, things like that. And to have other believers who can get an instant notification and begin praying for you right there mm -hmm. without having to go public and put this out on a social media site or something is really a blessing. God bless the developers at Subsplash, the company that's created our app. Um, and, and they do apps for many, many ministries that you're probably aware of and familiar with. But um, we, we activated this section it's just especially for this kind of thing. So uh, again, gilberthouse.org slash app, Unraveling 
revelation.tv slash app. Download it there. We've got links to the app stores for the various devices at those sites. And uh, take advantage of that. Also, when the barn is finished, which will be probably in a few weeks, a month maybe, uh, from the time we're recording this, uh, we are going to put up a prayer board. So please mail us, snail mail, the old-fashioned way, mm -hmm. mail us your prayer requests, and we will put that up on the board. If you want to send a photo of the person you're praying for or yourself, put that up there. We will make sure that we pray for you daily. Mm -hmm. Send it to Gilbert House. P.O. Box 78, Crane, Missouri, 65633. Now, we're not going to broadcast that stuff over No, no, this is, this is just for us, us to pray for you. Right, absolutely. Well, we, we had talked last week, in the last couple of weeks, about uh, Inanna, this ancient Sumerian entity, gender-fluid entity, actually. Oh, yeah. There are Sumerian hymns that praise her for changing men into women, women into men. Sometimes mm -hmm. she manifests as male, sometimes as female. I mean, this was well-known in other cultures as well, to the Canaanites and the Arabs. She was Astarte sometimes, but other times she was Athtar, the war god, the Hurrians, under the name Shauska. Is that the one that wore the, the skulls on her belt? Uh, no, at, uh, that would be... Um, Annette? Annette, who wore the, yeah, the girdle made of skulls. Yeah, don't annoy... Anat. But oftentimes uh, these times these deities are, are described as having swords that are bloody up to the hilt. Right. I mean, this is a violent deity yeah. that hates humans. Right. And, and this is who we're dealing with. And this is why we're giving you sort of the backstory here. But as, as Sharon talked about last week, and even the week before, we were talking about the descent of Inanna, or yes. Inanna's descent into the netherworld, where she wanted to take over the uh, underworld kingdom from her sister, Ereshkigal. She, she was already queen of heaven, queen of earth. She wanted to be queen of the underworld. Yeah, Ereshkigal, queen mm -hmm. of the great below. Yeah. She, uh, 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 Inanna, that is, um, was killed because Ereshkigal figured out what was going on. Mm -hmm. But through the intervention of her uncle Enki, who I guess had forgiven her by that point for stealing the Mez, the I principles guess. of human civilization. More uh, on that in a little while. Yeah. She um, uh, was, was resurrected on the third day. And of course, she sent, as we discussed last week, sent her husband, Demutsi, the shepherd, back to the netherworld because nobody gets out of the underworld alive. So Demutsi and his sister yeah, split six months of the year, which is why you get these rising and dying, uh, the, the rising and dying God concept. In you the know, fall, Demutsi was, was mourned, the women weeping for Tammuz in mm -hmm. the book of Ezekiel. And then in the spring, the sacred marriage rites as everything greens up again. We mentioned last week, or I mentioned, that he is the bad shepherd, yeah. whereas our Lord is the good shepherd. He is the, the husband of the... The good shepherd is the husband of the church, the mm -hmm. bride. Inanna was the fertility goddess bride of Demutsi, mm -hmm. and the fact that he substituted for her, the shepherd gave his life yeah. so that the bride could live, mm -hmm. but he's only down there six months of the year, which is why they weep for Tammuz and they cannot wait for him to come back in the spring. Yeah, there there are so many parallels where he is the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this idea of the, the, the third day resurrection is much, much older than than we would like to think. In fact, um, we, see rep we see references in the Old Testament to this idea for example, in Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, we read, After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before mm -hmm. him. This is a prophecy mm -hmm. of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. 
But we also see that uh, because this was known in the ancient world, because of Inanna's descent and other practices among the pagans, for example, it's known that amongst the Greeks and Romans, there was a, a uh, ceremonial feast for the dead on the third day after the burial of the person. And so this idea of eating a sacrifice on the third day after the animal was sacrificed was forbidden. Leviticus 7 verse 18. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. And then we see again Leviticus 19 uh -huh. verses 7 and 8. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted, and everyone who eats of it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to Yahweh, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Now I'm thinking, when most people read these verses, and when pastors read them in churches, the assumption is, well, it's spoiled. Yes, yes. But again, because it is known from the ancient world, we've got this idea of this emergence on the third day, this, uh, again, the, the practice among the Greeks and Romans of celebrating on the third day that um, I, I think there's more to it than that. We, oh, we also see more. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 65, verses two through four, uh, where he condemns, uh, let's see, people who provoke me, this is God speaking, people who provoke me to my face continuously, sacrificing in gardens. We wrote in our book, Veneration, about the... Uh, mortuary gardens, mm -hmm. how kings of the ancient Near East, the Amorite kings, had established these gardens where they were venerated as uh, gods, spirits in the underworld, who joined the assembly of the Rephaim, mm -hmm. the council of the Datanu, the Titans, um, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh, and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. It's yes. tainted because they were eating it on the third day. Exactly. And one other quick thing here, pig's flesh. We mm -hmm. know that pig was taboo. There are scholars who believe that it's because pig was, pork was pretty mm -hmm. much raised uh, in the ancient world exclusively to offer as sacrifices to the dead. Yes, and... You mentioned that they were sitting in tombs. Mm -hmm. I yes. would argue that those are the dolmens. And it's possible these gardens were the collection of dolmens, these necropolises, these dolmen fields where they would go and they would, because I think these are portals. I think these are places where they go to commune with the dead, the ancestors, the ancient kings. They're mm. trying to get power. And when you and I were on Sardinia, mm -hmm. when we mentioned this before, we learned that Young children, especially mm -hmm. young boys, mm -hmm. when they turned 13, they went into the tombs of the giants mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they sat there overnight by themselves with the very purpose of ritually incubating or taking in the spirit of the giant to help them become a good person, a man mm -hmm. yeah, filled with power. I think that's hideous. And, and I know that our I loved our guide so much, I can't wait to see her again one day. But she said it's just culture. Yeah. No, there's something spiritual to this. It's not a coincidence that when Jesus drove the demons out, you know, the, those who call themselves legion, for we are many, that the Gerasene demoniac was living amongst the tombs mm -hmm. and that there was a herd of pigs nearby. Mm -hmm. Again, that was because they were being raised to offer as sacrificial meals 
to the dead. In reality, the demonic spirits of the giants destroyed in the flood of Noah. And he was in, the, the, the demoniac was in that whole region that you yeah. and I call the Valley of the Shadow of Death. So being in the tombs could have been around these dolmens. Absolutely, yeah. The, Gol the Golan Heights, according to the scholar who's led the, um, the survey for the uh, Israel Antiquities Authority, uh, Moshe Hartal, uh, just back in 2015, so very recently said, we, we can't tell where one dolmen field ends and another one begins anymore. So he proposes looking at the Golan, uh, which is the ancient kingdom of Bashan, Og of Bashan, as one giant dolmen field. In other words, one giant necropolis, mm -hmm. one big uh, place devoted to the cult of mm -hmm. the dead. And as uh, Dr. Mike Freakman, who we met with on our expedition back in March, told us this... Um, is a, a, a devoted to the cult of the dead, even the megalithic structures like uh, Gilgal Rephaim, where you've got an artificial mountain, that central core that rose yes. about 20 feet above the, the basalt uh, bedrock uh, over a, an artificial netherworld, yes. a, a, gal a, a gallery tomb yes. or, or a gallery entry mm -hmm. leading into a place where you would then commune with the spirits mm -hmm. of the netherworld. And as uh, Dr. Freakman pointed out, uh, these are much older than the original estimates, which put him in the time of Abraham, the Middle Bronze Age. He puts it back about a thousand years prior to that, even more actually, about 1500 years before that, in the middle uh, to the late Caucolithic or Copper Age and the early Bronze Age at the latest, which is around 33, 3200 BC, because when you look at the settlements on the Golan Heights, the manpower to move these really big stones, there just wasn't anyone there after the early Bronze Age. So uh, these are very ancient, it's a very old practice. I mean, we're talking as much time between King David and us as between the construction of these dolmens and Jesus Christ walking the earth. That's a long time. That is a very time. long, long time for this cult. And this would have been well known to John and his readers. We're going to have to continue this talk after the break when we will continue also the idea of resurrection on the third day. Mm, straight ahead on Unraveling Revelation. Everyone learns differently, and that's why we write fiction. It is. I find that some people love to read nonfiction, but there's something about fiction that psychologists say breaks that fourth wall. You no longer doubt what you're reading. You get so engrossed in the story that you learn. You can learn propaganda or you can learn God's truth. Absolutely. So yes, we write nonfiction books, but we are also using the gift of storytelling to try to teach spiritual warfare and spiritual truths. And during the months of August and September, we're offering all 10 of our novels at 20% off. All 10 at 20% off? That's crazy. That's that right. Really, really a good deal. And now's the time if you want to buy gifts for birthdays or Christmas or whatever uh, gift giving season it is. It could even be Mother's Day next year. This is the time to save 20% on all of our fiction. And Derek's fiction is really, really good if you've never well, read it. And Sharon's Red Wing Saga. Eight novels so far. She's hard at work on number nine. nine? If you want to get engrossed in characters who are really grappling with the supernatural and trying to make sense of that world while teaching the divine council concepts that mm -hmm. we try to communicate here, get involved in the Red Wing saga. Again, all eight of those novels, plus my two novels, The God Conspiracy and Iron Dragons, 20% off now only at our online store. That's gilberthouse.org slash store. Welcome back to Unraveling Revelation. I'm Derek Gilbert. I am Sharon Gilbert, and I hope you're sitting there in comfy clothes, drinking coffee or tea, or perhaps just some water as we are. 
because we love it when you join us and you're just sitting there in your home with your family, your great kids, your grandkids. We pray that you do share the idea of studying the Word of God with your family. Derek and I have been doing reading aloud for, what, 10 years or so? Almost that, yeah. yeah. I think we started in 2014, just before we moved here to the Ozarks. So uh, we're coming up on our 10th year. We're in our 10th year, I guess. We'll hit the 10-year mark sometime mm-hmm. next year, 2024. Um, we, we don't, you know, like put marks on the wall. We really do. track, but it's uh, really interesting when you read the Bible aloud with other people, mm-hmm. you are, are your, your brain engages more and you catch things. And of yes. course, other people say, wait, stop. What does that mean? Yeah. You just Do, said, read that again. Does and, that mean what we think it means? Mm-hmm. Um, Let's go to the original language and look see. Look beyond the English. Yeah. Look beyond the English to the original Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. Uh, and sometimes you find loan words from other languages like Akkadian or Egyptian in there too. And try to understand the context. That's what Derek and I study all the time, trying to get into the mind of those who wrote these scriptures and those who heard these scriptures uh, uh, preached. Third day, third day, rising again on the third day. Yes. Um, this is, uh, again, an old practice, and there were other references to this uh, occurring, th- this uh, idea of rising on the third day, and it's all intimately connected to the uh, the cult of the dead or the fathers or the ancestors. Yes. Well, I think it was in veneration. I wrote an entire chapter on threshing floors. Right, right, right. portals, and there is a threshing floor in the poetry on top of Mount Hermon. Right, the the Ugaritic texts called the Rephaim texts Mm -hmm. that summon the Rephaim through what looks very much like a necromancy ritual, Mm -hmm. where they are summoned to the threshing floor or the tabernacle, or the portal. <laughs> right, of El, which is the uh, summit of Mount Hermon. Yes. And they, according to one of the texts, they uh, these the Rephaim are described as chariot warriors, and they mount their chariots, they travel first one day and then another, and they arrive at this threshing floor at dawn of the third day. Yes. Now, that's not coincidental. It is not. It also pictures El as the having the capability of yes. resurrecting them, but it is the name of El that yes, does it. the blessing of the name of El. As if the name mm-hmm. of Jehovah, Hashem, right. which is Jesus Christ, he is the one that has power of resurrection. Well, right. El has the fake power of resurrection through the fake name. Yeah. And this this entity called El, mm-hmm. uh, my, my book, The Second Coming of Saturn, deals with un, kind of untangling the, the identities of this, this entity. Mm-hmm. We think El to the Canaanites, which is just a, became a, a word in Hebrew. That's sort of a generic word that means small g, God. Yeah. Um, it's an old one. It, it is. Uh, Enlil or Elil of the Akkadians and Babylonians. That's just El Elu or Il Elu, meaning God of gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's where the name Allah comes from too, by the way, is um, a, a, an entity that uh, was known to the Hebrews through the book of First Enoch as Shemiyasa, the one who led the rebellion described in Genesis mm-hmm. chapter 6. And I think at the end of days is the one who is called uh, the destroyer, Apollyon or Abaddon. So the relationship between this entity and, um, and by the way, the Hebrews also referred to it as uh, Molech, this entity... Shemiyasa. Yes. Uh, this this entity and Inanna or Ishtar or Astarte mm-hmm. is really interesting because we've got a number of entities at play here in the book of Revelation. As we get into Revelation 17, we see her on the back of the beast. Yes. Who we think is Leviathan. Uh, so you got 
that character, Inanna, and then you've got the destroyer, Apollyon, Abaddon. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the king of all of this, as Jesus called him, you know, he's got a kingdom that it would be Satan. You know, it sounds really complicated. The more you and I study it, the more we repeat, read things, go back and read a book again. Many of them are by the late Dr. Michael Heiser. Mm -hmm. And we try to understand, it begins to make sense to us. So if you're sitting there saying, all these names, I'm just so confused. So were we. And there are still times where I'm still confused, but I'm slowly getting a grasp on the idea that Inanna, who's a post-flood entity, mm -hmm. I believe, is in charge of the present world system. Mm -hmm. Satan, who's been here all along, is allowing her to do that. Yeah. Inanna is working with another entity that we've mentioned, not her husband, Demutsi, because he's rising and dying. He's not always here. This is according to the myth. She works with Nabu to control the system. Yes, yes. She's Na building a new world order. She is controlling the whole civilization mm -hmm. process because she controls the Mez. Right. And as we described a couple of weeks ago, the Mez, uh, which are the M -E -S. principles. Right, MES. It's a uh, the the principles that that guide and govern human civilization. Mm -hmm. You know everything from you know be nice to your neighbors to how to brew beer. It's covered in the list of Mez, and she stole them from her uncle yes. Enki, the Lord of the Abyss, Abzu. Which also makes her a lawgiver. Right. Which is why I think she is also called Justitia. Justice. In Rome. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that uh, is a big symbol inside Congress. It, it is. And uh, we hear a lot about social justice these days. So, um, yep. She's using this idea yeah. of equity yeah. and social justice uh -huh. and gender fluidity right. and free will. And, you know, do as thou wilt is the whole of the law. What seems right in one's own eyes. Yes, exactly. That's, That's how what she's... got the Israelites into a lot of trouble yes, in the Old exactly. Testament. She's building an entire world order on that, but she doesn't control the economics of it. That's right. what Nabu is helping her to yes, do. Yes, Nabu was the god of scribes and uh, lawyers, basically, in the ancient world. In the ancient Babylonian uh, civilization, people were generally illiterate. So you mm -hmm. had to go to this this guild of scribes when you needed to send a letter or drop a deed or a will or, or get a whatever. Curse. Yeah, get a curse. Seriously, get a curse. But they would also track the gifts, the tithes to the temples. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there was a small temple found at the site of ancient Babylon not too long ago, uh, within the last 10 years or so, called to the temple to Nabu of Accounts. So he's sort of a, the god of bankers as well, in a sense, because you you got to be able to write if you're going to track who's given what to whom. Nabu was known to the Greeks and the Romans as Hermes or Mercury, and Mercury is a name that comes from the same root that we get uh, merchant mm -hmm. and mercantile and commerce. So this is a god. Th this is a god who controls modern day. Uh, I would suggest the media, mm -hmm. god of writing, uh, lawyers. Mm -hmm. and bankers. Yes, yes. And Inanna controls everything else. Right. And Nabu is hidden 
within our current banking system. Yeah, this this blew me away. We were researching this a few years ago and found that, uh, well, when we did our study on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, yes. we were trying to identify the four horsemen, the rider on the white horse, the first horseman. You can go back this and find it, find this in our archives at, uh, uh, well, on the app. Uh, you can search for this, by the way. Just We've also got a DVD with just those episodes. We do, yes. The Four Horsemen DVD. It's also available at our streaming video site, which we keep forgetting to talk about. <laughs> Gilberthouse.org so slash video. You can watch these, get instant access, not have to pay shipping. Um, the uh, rider on the white horse, we believe, is the god Apollo, and we explain why. The rider on the red horse, obviously the war god. Excuse Ares, me. Mars, Chemosh to the Moabites. The rider on the black horse, Nabu. Hermes, Mercury. Mm -hmm. And when we were researching Nabu, we discovered that back in 2009, after the uh, subprime mortgage collapse, MasterCard implemented a new fee for merchants, there's that word again, mm -hmm. using the card, a two cent fee that was paid to MasterCard every time somebody swipes a debit or credit card, called the Network Access Brand Usage Fee, the Nabu. <laughs> <laughs> every time you use a MasterCard, two cents, Nabu. He's right yeah. there controlling now, the whole thing. That's not a form of inadvertent worship. You are not no. accidentally worshiping Nabu no. when you use your card. We have a MasterCard debit card that we use all the time. It's one of those things that I think the fallen realm insert in there using human beings as dupes. And yep. I think they just laugh about it. But no, you're not worshiping them. But I'll tell you what, this banking system that is being built, right. and it will be a central banking system with a central di digital currency, and if you do not worship the way they tell you to, and it simply yeah. means behave the way they tell you to for now, mm -hmm. you'll be debanked. Right. And this has already been happening in the uh, UK. We watch a lot of news out of the UK. And, TV uh, news is yep. really good. Nigel Farage, who really led the effort to uh, for Brexit in the UK was uh, recently debanked by Coots, which is a bank over there that's mm -hmm. uh, owned by NetWest, the former Royal Bank of Scotland. And he found out after you know publicizing what had happened to him, talking about it on his program, that there are thousands of people across mm -hmm. the UK who have been debanked. But this is like the Chinese social credit mm -hmm. score system. It is coming here. We've seen a little bit of this with some other say, uh, payment systems for, you know, doing transactions on the web, mm -hmm. where if you uh, don't have the right kind of political beliefs, they will charge you a $1,000 fine for, you know, okay, they backed off of that after it went public. But this is the kind of thing that is coming to the system through the uh, the, the influence of these entities that are setting up the, the, the infrastructure for the global kingdom of Antichrist. They will compel our behavior and eventually lead to it. In fact, there was a story on 5 and 10 for uh, Skywatch TV mm -hmm. just a couple of weeks ago about a prominent economist who is warning that we will soon be compelled to join a system where an implantable chip allows you to access once they eliminate mm -hmm. cash and we go to a strictly digital currency. One more thing, and we will talk more about this next week, but the FCA, which is the Financial Conduct Authority in England. Financial Conduct Authority? Oh, yeah. They tell the banks what to do. Well, the current head of the FCA used to be a very prominent member of the board for Stonewall. Oh, that explains much. Yeah, well... Just a coincidence. This, this is the direction things are going to go as we get closer into the end times. And again, a digital currency 
especially if it's a central bank digital currency where mm -hmm. all transactions go through the central banking system where they know everything you spend your money on and can control that currency so that it's only usable. And this was what was uh, warned by this uh, economist. If you're outside the, the, the zone of your 15-minute city, if you're trying to spend it on something they don't like, like, oh, I don't know, buying a Bible or donating to your favorite uh, ministry, uh, that won't be allowed. Th this is what is coming in this world. But Christ, rejoice! Rejoice! Yes, as Jesus told his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Look, when you see all these things, look up for redemption draws near. It does. Praise the Lord. Yes. Well, we're looking forward to that day. It's not going to be an easy time ahead, but we know the ending of the book. That's why we're doing this study. No spoilers here. We'll tell you right up front. Our Lord has already won the war. Some battles yet to fight, but that's to give us time to get others behind our lines and minister to them. Thank you for watching. This is Unraveling Revelation. Unraveling Revelation is a viewer-supported outreach of Gilbert House Ministries. Follow us online at unravelingrevelation.tv and gilberthouse.org. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us through our websites or drop us a line at P.O. Box 78, Crane, Missouri, 65633.